Good morning. You guys care about take a few seconds to get situated? I just put it all in one hand and really think about it. I'll take two minutes then. Thank you. It's good to see all of you. It's good to see all of you. I know a lot of you. And there's some of you I don't know. And it's good to see you too. It's so good to be here, to be with all of you. June 5th, 2011. That was the first Christ community service I was ever able to attend. I remember Chauncey Shiloh read the Word of God. And I remember hearing the Word of God. You know, it's good and it's good every time. But I heard that reading and I saw this is that powerful Word of God. It's almost like we got two sermons that day. And so whenever I knew I was going to get an opportunity to come back and preach, I was like, hey, can we have Chauncey read it again? And he did, and he forgot, but he did it anyway. So we're grateful for that. So went to came here uh, for several years. Then June 25th, 2017, Christ Community sent a church plant to Norman to continue doing the same good work that you guys are doing here. Two years Seven months and one day, good news, Hope Community Church is still meeting in Norman. We're still sharing the gospel. We're still going to people. We're still loving people and laying down our life. And it is my joy to say we learned that from you. It is my joy to say we learned that from Christ's community. So I just want to say thank you. Before anything else gets preached, thank you. I know myself and I know Mila, my beloved, my wife. We are so grateful for Christ's community and everything you guys have done. And we're glad to come back and see you're still going for it, too. Uh, We're going to take another moment to pray to get our heart ready for the word. I had a friend one time. uh, She was hanging around all this stuff, and she told another friend of mine, you know, you guys pray a lot. I thought about it. And the thought that came to mind was, compared to who? Compared to who? Compared to the Christ? I don't think so. So I guess what? We're going to keep praying. If I break in the middle of the sermon to pray again, that's good, because we need it. Amen? We also get to pray right now. So I'm going to give us a moment to, once again, quiet our heart. God really loves everyone here. And he wants us to be spoken to, ministered to. And if I just came up here and said this and left, even Chauncey having read this, like read this song, that's enough. God is at work already through his powerful word. But it's my joy also to get to expand and expound on this today. So let's pray that God would let us be open to whatever he has for us. Because he's got something for us. Because he loves us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. That is our worship and our prayer today. You are holy, holy, holy. You are lifted up. You are above us. And that is our great hope today. That is our great hope. So every part of our being, including our ears, let us offer you praise and hear your powerful word that you've given to us. We thank you. We pray this in the name of the Son, Jesus Everyone said, amen. All right, so we're going to jump right into the song. That's good. 
So I look at verses 1 through 3. We see the psalmist David. He commits to garden his ways because he doesn't want to sin with his tongue. Uh, which, first question, have you ever said something that immediately you, should, you knew you shouldn't have said it? Okay, so we got this side. But have you guys ever said something and immediately you knew you shouldn't have said it? Okay, what about over there? That ever happened to you? It happens, right? Um, but it's never happened to me, so I, I can't relate. Just kidding. I'm sure there's a lot of you in here who have specific memories of me saying things that I shouldn't have said. But I'll tell you what, today, you're free not to share that. And I thank you. You don't got to share yours either. We'll just all keep that in today. But that's happened, and it happens, right? We say stuff, and it comes out. And as soon as it comes out, you think, yeah, what did I do? What did I just say? You just want to put those words back in your mouth, but that's not how it works. That's where, that's something similar to what David's feeling right now. He's aware that the tongue is a hard beast to tame. And it's exacerbated by the sin that's in his heart. It's made worse by that sin. I say crazy things anyway. I don't need sin helping me to say crazy things, right? He knows that his tongue, his words, they've gotten him into trouble before. And he also knows his enemies are lurking. They're praying for it, praying, praying on him, praying for him to slip up. And the commentary on this text, it gives the image, as we look at it, so long as the wicked are in my presence, the commentary talks about this image of like vultures swooping around. Swooping around. In this case, though, he's not, he's not yet dead. But the vultures see, they're like, we're waiting for that opportunity. We're waiting to come in and snatch up the remnants. They suspect he doesn't have long. His enemies suspect he doesn't have long. Sometimes I feel like that. I'm assuming that we've all felt like that. You feel like you're on your last leg and something, something is waiting for you. David had flesh and blood people waiting around who were waiting for him to slip up. They were wanting to, to swoop in for the kill and collect the spoils. Now, we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So, people, the actual physical being of people, they're not our enemies. We're not at odds with them. And yet, it's still the case that this pro, there's a lot of people who want to see you fail. There's a lot of people who are waiting for you to slip up. There's a lot of people who still are waiting for you to make that mistake that leads to your demise, your collapse. They just, they're waiting for that. So even though they're not our enemies, it still seems like there's some people waiting. They think, if she fails, I get that promotion. If he loses, this sets me up to win. If she dies, that's one more person out of the way. If he gets exposed, that opens up a spot for me. It's wicked, and there's a lot of wickedness in this world. You, David, and I know it far too well. And when we tie that, the spirit of the world, principalities, uh, as Ephesians added, in our own flesh, the part of us that rages against the good, and it rages against all control, as David embodied by the tongue, he's saying that the tongue is this part of us, it's just raging against the good. We have quite a battle, don't we? Yes, we do. And David does too. But he has a plan. 
Let's see what that is again in verses 1 and 2. He says, I will guard my ways. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. I was mute and silent. David has a plan. He says, I'll stop speaking. Now, maybe this means he'll stop sinning with his words. But let me ask you something. Let's say he's able to quit speaking, cuts out all of the sin that comes out of his mouth. Has he conclusively, decisively, and definitively won the battle against sin? No, he hasn't. No, he has not. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And this is exactly the type of action David's doing. He says, fine, if my mouth causes me to sin, I'll never speak. David says, uh, if if my eye causes me to sin, it's gone. My hand, it's gone. It seems noble. But stopping this doesn't stop all the expressions of sin. Because guess what? Right eye, then hand, then left eye, then other hand, then feet, then leg. And you go on until you've got no eyes and no limbs, right? But guess what? Sin didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. Because right before Jesus gives that command, the, the, the eye and hand removal, or command he teaches on that. Right before he says that, he says, if you look at your brother with anger in your heart, sin. If you look on someone with lust in your heart, sin. All these limbs gone, yet sin hasn't gone anywhere. We see that the power wasn't in the limbs, nor any other good thing. None of these things caused us to sin. Not our limbs, not our money, not our food, not our power, not our status. None of these things have caused us to sin. The issue is the heart. And unless you can remove that heart, you're still going to be working through some stuff. And so we see that's what's going on in David's heart. Now, this idea of sin and, and how it seems like it's never far, we're always dealing with it. It made me think of an example that maybe a few of you might relate to. You guys ever thought to yourself, man, I'm kind of hungry. All right, we got one person who's been hungry. You're all robots, the rest of you. I've learned that just now. You guys ever been hungry? Yeah, we've all been hungry, right? I get it. I've been there too. Uh, When I'm at home and I have that thought, I'm able to do something because, praise God, we have some food at the house. We usually have something in the refrigerator, leftovers from the night before, just something else I can eat up. But sometimes I think, I'm going to treat myself. I'm worth it, you know? I'm worth it. So I began to boil some water. I walked to our little pantry shelf, and I reached for that beautiful orange rectangular package. <laughs> Chicken ramen, right? The cuisine of kings and queens. That's right. I opened it up, put the noodle block, <laughs> the noodle block, I loved writing that. I lo- put the noodle block in the pot, and I let it cook. After a while, I put the noodles and water in a bowl, 
And I always put too much water in. I don't know if you guys, but I really like a like a super saturated sodium flavor. That's like my thing. So if you got too much water, it throws off that. Uh, so I always accidentally put too much water in the bowl. So what this means is I I gotta pour some water out. So this bowl with the noodles and the recently boiled water, I walk over to it and I pick it up and it's cool to the touch, right? No, it's not. Everyone say no. It's boil, it was boiling water, and it's in this bowl, and now I'm holding it, right? And so what happens is I've got to get this to the sink before I burn my hands permanently, causing damage, right? And now some of you can just use a towel or a rag, but that's not the point of the illustration. That's why I do that, but right now, just hear me out. So I hold this thing in my possession, and as long as it's in my possession, it will continue to hurt me. I must do something with it. I can set it down. I can toss it away. I can drop it. I can and must do anything that will get this thing out of my possession. And we see that's exactly where David is. David, in verses 1 through 3, says, I'll muzzle my mouth. I'm mute. He says, I'll, this is a paraphrase, right? He says, I'll contain, I'll contain my sin. But the distress grew worse. It says his heart became hot within him. As he mused, the fire burned. He spoke with his tongue. O oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my day a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. You ever have moments in your life where sin and chaos and the world seems like too much to bear? Me too. And that's because it is. Sin, trying to bear the sin, my own sin, the sin in the world, the chaos, I'm trying to hold all of that like a hot bowl of noodles. But it's too much to bear. David tried. He held it and held it and held it until it proved too much. He had to get it out. It all came out in this verbal eruption. But let me ask, this eruption... It continues through the rest of the psalm. This eruption, who was it directed to? Okay. You guys are really with me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you, too. I just need more help. <laughs> who is this eruption directed to? <laughs> okay, we got some right here. Who is this eruption directed to? Oh, man, we're there. It's directed to God. He's holding it. He's holding it. He's holding it. I've got to do something with it. And he just erupts into conversation with God. That's exactly right. We see this moment of humility beginning in verses 4 through 6. He bursts into prayer, which, if you're wondering, is always an appropriate outlet. So, uh, pray at all times. Don't stop either. He calls out and asks the Lord to show him how brief his life is in the grand scheme of things. Let me know how fleeting I am. My lifetime is as nothing before you. We are all a mere breath. We spend our whole life soaring up 
and have no idea where we'll go after we are gone. He's grounding himself in reality. This is true humility, right? He sees who God is, the powerful, eternal, everlasting God. And he sees himself, a man who is here today and gone tomorrow. Now, I'm still in my comparative youth, but I have noticed that the youthfulness I feel now feels a little bit older than the younger youth I used to be, right? And I'm sure looking at all you fine, healthy-looking people, probably none of you feel that, but I feel that, right? Aching back, creaking joints, my muscles stay sore a little bit longer. Sleep is now a priority for once in my life. Uh, (laughs) Along with those ailments, I've noticed that time seems to pass quicker than it used to. I heard someone uh, communicate before that age, it kind of seems like miles per hour. The higher that number goes, the faster things seem to be moving. And that really seems to be the case from however many years I've been around, right? It's like, oh, it's 2020. I think in one month it's going to be 2040. And in two months... I don't even know. I can't count that, I guess, right? But just this idea of, like, time seems to be picking up and picking up and picking up. And it doesn't seem like it's slowing down, right? All of this to say life comes and goes faster than we expect it to. We're only here for a few days. And I'm now more than ever praying along with Moses in Psalm 90, teach me to number my days. That, may, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. We're only here for a few days. And I, like Moses, I want to know. I want to know. I just want to be aware of how fleeting all of this is. Because I want to live wise. Now, all of this, uh, this, this, idea, this talk of brevity and, and shortness of life. There's a certain way in which calling our attention to the brevity of life, the fleeting nature of all things, It refocuses us on what is important. After this moment, David is grounded, re-grounded. He knows that his sin is plentiful, but his days are not. So what does he do? He doubles down and presses deeper into God. In verses 7 through the end, I'm just going to read this whole thing. This thing's good, man. This psalm, it preaches. I'm just glad to be up here and say some stuff better, too. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth all that is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner, with you a guest, like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. He presses in. He presses in. He presses in. He's still aware of his sin. He's still aware of the enemy's prowling. He's aware that it's all too much. 
He knows it's all too much for him, so he throws all of his weight on God. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. What do I wait for? My hope is in you. All of these things going on, all of these things weighing him down and compounding and being too much. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And he throws all of his weight on God. He says, what else is there? All on you. But I've got some questions for you. Can God hold him up? Okay. Can God hold him up? Can God do the work? Can God bear the weight? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can bear all of the weight of every wrong and every sin. He's the only one who can do it. And guess what? That's exactly what he's done. God the Father saw us in our sorry state. My sorry state. Me holding the bowl of noodly sin, right? He saw me holding all that. It's too much for me. And I can't hold it any longer. But God sent his son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And he came down and he took it. He took it all on him. He bore the weight. He's the only one who can. And he has defeated sin. He has defeated sin. That's good news. That's good news. He has borne the weight of all of these things. But guess what? That's not it. That's not it. For those, for any, let me get really explicit here. If you don't know Jesus, and you feel the weight of your sin, Jesus is the only one who can set you free from that. He came to die on the cross. He bore the wrath of God, the, the wrath that I deserved, the wrath that I should have borne, the, all the weight that I thought I had and more. He bore all of that. Jesus the Christ bore that so we could know him, so we could be free from the weight of this sin. If you do not know Jesus, put your trust in Jesus. He's the only one who can deliver from sin. And for those who have trusted in Christ, the scripture says that when we trust in Jesus, the love of God is poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Who's been given to us? The Holy Spirit has been given us. The Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that was in the Christ as He walked on this earth and bore all the weight that I could never wear. The one who only, the only one who defeated sin. The only one who overcame everything. The only one who truly won the victory. That Spirit that was in Him is now in those of us who trust in Jesus. That's good news. We have the Spirit of God. Those things that weighed us down have no weight, no bearing, no say over us anymore. We belong to God, our Father who is in heaven, sealed by the Spirit, being made more and more into the image of God, one degree of glory to another, to another, to another, to another. It doesn't, doesn't stop. God doesn't stop. There's great hope for us. We feel the weight of the world, but we throw that on Jesus. You've never done it, do it. If you have, new mercies. For those who are in Christ, we have the Spirit of God. We still make some mistakes. Cast it on God. 
He took you in. He took me in at my worst. And so I reasonably easy to keep being who he is. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Right? And so then we look from that. I have a look. This psalm is kind of crazy to read through, guys. I was reading through this psalm, and David was talking about, like, oh, it's all too much, and it's weighing down, and sin is too much, and your hand is too much, and I really need you to kind of look away from me right now. It's all confusing. But we see right here that God is working for the good of David. David has trusted God, is walking with God, but there still are things trying to rear its head in his life. But he calls out to God, deliver me from these things. Don't make me a scorn, the scorn of the fool. Remove that stroke from me. Remove your hostility. When you discipline a man, you show him everything. Everything. Everything is vain. Everything is fleeting. Nothing else matters when you rebuke your people. I'm like a sojourner with you. Look away from me because I want to smile again. This isn't David saying that he wants God to leave him. But right now he's feeling the weight of God's discipline. Because is God okay with sin? No, he's not. We see exactly what I said earlier, the whole gospel, what cost God went through to defeat sin. We see that. And even now for the believer, God is, we're sealed, right? So there's all this stuff that's still in me, but if I die, I am with Christ. I am in Christ. All of us who trust in we're in Christ. So all those things that nag at you and the shame and the fear and all of those things that haunt you at night, those have no bearing. I already said that, and I'll probably say it again, Right? It's no broken record. This is the right record. It's true. It's good. And we're going to keep saying this over and over. Jesus is the one who does it, right? And as we walk with Jesus, he does want to set us more and more free. As we go with Jesus, I know oftentimes there's this fear of, what if, what if I go for it? What if I do this thing that God has called me to do and I fail or I fall? Well, you will. I will. We do that. That's a thing we do. But it makes me think of Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. You guys, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. But who is now with us in every step of the way? Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus is with us. Every step of the way. We fall. We're getting back up. We sit in darkness. The Lord, our light, is with us. He loves us. He's disciplining us. He's working all this stuff out of us. Because for freedom, he set us free. He didn't just call us in so we continue to be people who operate like slaves. People who operate from a place of bondage. For freedom, he has set us free. And we don't have to submit again to any yoke of slavery. Fullness of life is what God has called us to. And for those who walk with him, we're going to see more and more of that. We see David being disciplined for the the sin in his life. As I walk with Jesus, I see these things getting what feels like beat out of me sometimes, right? But who is it exactly that God disciplines? Who does God discipline? His son, whom he loves. God disciplines his children because he loves them. And it's not some discipline. I had to relearn what discipline meant when I came to walk with Jesus. Because I had some bad ideas of it. I had some bad pictures. 
But it looks like God's picture of discipline isn't to punish us and send us away. But he corrects us so we can learn how to put even more weight into his embrace. He doesn't rebuke us to send us away, but he corrects us to draw us in. That's exactly what he does. There's all these things that weigh against us. Our sin, chaos in the world, all kinds of wickedness. And in the midst of all this, Jesus is our hope. And as we said, he's the only one who actually can and has. He's the only one who can deal with all this. He's the only one who has dealt with all of it. That is our hope. So in the midst of darkness, Jesus. In the midst of trial, Jesus. In the midst of confusion, Jesus. In the midst of struggle, Jesus. That's right. Ooh, man. And for, like I said, for those of us who are with Jesus, we're going to continue walking. God loves you. God loves you. God loves every single... Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. I know it's always disoriented. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, God loves you. Now sit there with yourself and say, God loves me. That's exactly right. That's right. Hebrews 12 talks about, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, everyone say therefore. therefore. Everyone say it again. Therefore. therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God is strengthening us, and he's healing us, and he's putting us in the right direction. He's making us stronger and stronger, and it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And he knows that, but he does it for our good. He is not content with these things rearing their head and trying to destroy us. He is not content with us being content with him. He has called us to freedom, and he's going to see it through. He's going to see it through. And so in the midst of the pain... Jesus. He is our hope. And our hope is enough. Amen? All right. We're going to pray. Yes, God. You love us. You love us. You love us. And you do not cast us away, you bring us in. Those who are far away, you invite in. Those who are walking with you who feel like they're wandering astray, you call back to yourself. You love us in the midst of all these things that rage against us, even ourselves. You are enough, and indeed you are the only one who is. Let us put all of our weight in you, because you can hold us up. We pray all of this in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen.